Well, hello there. And we are back again, again. I, we apologize for the long layoff, but, you know, it is what it is. Uh, today we have a kind of a different guest, but it was a very interesting uh, episode. We had a blast. He is actually a uh, master fitter at TruSpec Golf, which is a brand agnostic company that uh, fits golfers. And we'll get more into what exactly that is, but we have a great episode of uh, exactly how clubs benefit people um, and just why we love the uh, the game of golf so much. And just a really cool hang. So without further ado, please give a warm welcome to our guest, Sean Fagan. I'm driving down the highway, headed to the range, gonna knock them out strong while I feel the no pain. Got an old brown bag, big sticky on the back, but the grass don't grow, gonna take a few hacks. That's a place for you, if you're just like me, I'm Jeff Rich, and I look at TV, I have a Okay, so let's just hop right into it. Um, please tell us and me, just to reassure me that all the money I spent is going to the right place, please give us the uh, elevator pitch or feel free to go longer as to why you think it's necessary to, and something I just found out about, uh, why you feel it's necessary for someone, doesn't matter what handicap you are, to get fitted for golf clubs. Okay, sure. Um, so, yes, I think you're definitely going to save some strokes on the golf course. I think between like three to five shots per round is kind of the goal. Um, think back to like uh, medieval times, right? And I've never actually watched Game of Thrones. So this is kind of a crazy like corollary. But um, when the dragon is like taking, you know, uh, aim of the castle and everyone has to go get their, their bows and arrows and knives and things like that, um, someone has to make sure that the little guy doesn't get the big, you know, uh, sword and the little person or the, the big person doesn't need like a little, you know, toy uh, bow and arrow type thing. That's kind of the idea behind fitting sometimes. Getting the right weight in your hands can make all the difference. Golf swing is uh, very unique to each individual, right? We all have different bodies. We have different lengths of our levers from our arms and our legs. People are taller than other people. People are shorter than other people. Um, people can move more weight than others. And a lot of people um, don't necessarily understand that value um, of getting the right equipment uh, when playing golf. The people who tend to play for lots of money, like the head professionals and um, the touring pros like Tiger Woods, among others, um, if their equipment isn't exactly dialed into their swing and what they need, um, they're probably not going to play their best golf. And that's why you're seeing a lot of players on the PGA Tour, especially, playing in a, a brand agnostic equipment uh, set. So what that means is in the past, you know, a player would get paid a million dollars a year, you know, to, to play um, Callaway clubs or Titleist clubs, TaylorMade clubs, whatever it might be. And as the data has kind of increased showing, you know, how effective fitting can be, Players are, rather than taking a, a guaranteed equipment contract for a million dollars a year, they're testing e equipment from all different manufacturers to make sure that whatever equipment they have will make them the most money on the course. Because instead of taking a million dollars to play clubs that might not be right for you, um, I'd rather play the right clubs and win a million dollars one week and then maybe win another million right later on in the year. So that sort of trickle-down effect is really 
captured the world of golf. Custom fitting's been around for you know closer to ten years. My company's been around for more like six years or so, and uh, you know every year that more and more data gets accrued, we are able to prove empirically and beyond a shadow of a doubt that getting fit for equipment will help you play your best. Um, and in a pandemic like we're in now, golf is like the perfect sport for this. Mm -hmm. So golf has never been more popular. Getting fit for clubs has never been more popular. But more importantly, you know, there's so many different types of golf clubs out there. There's so many different manufacturers trying to make all these different products and equipment that's that are, you know, really engineered for a very specific type of player. So if you're going to spend, you know, some of your hard-earned capital to, like, find golf clubs, you may as well have someone who's trained to, like, instruct you on what you should be buying from a purchasing decision. So hope that answers your question. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> great job. And, like, just to add on some things as a customer and someone who, like, six months ago, if you asked me, would you get fitted for clubs, I'd be like, what does fitted mean? Like, the right length, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so... A couple of things to touch on. Um, you mentioned brand agnostic, mm -hmm. which is something that I think is super, super important. Before, I was, when I first realized, oh, right, I'm going to get fitted, I was like, all right, I want to get Callaways or maybe I'll do TaylorMades. And then I was playing golf with this one dude, and he's like, dude, go to TruSpec because they're brand agnostic. And I go, what the hell does that mean? He mm -hmm. goes, you can literally hit any brand you want with any setup. And he's like, I went in there. I want to get the TaylorMade. And I'm like, yeah, me too. He's like, yeah, well, I, I walked out with ping and my numbers <laughs> were way better. And what brand agnostic basically means is you can hit any, um, any product, any company, and it's something that's extremely unique to TrueSpec. You go to TaylorMade, you're going to hit only TaylorMade products. And they're tremendous products. They have some of the top five uh, athletes right now. They have uh, Matt Wolf, Tiger Woods, Rory McIlroy, Dustin Johnson. Obviously, they're a very, very good company. When I hit TaylorMade drivers, didn't hit it as good as I hit the ping. You know, shocker! You don't swing like Tiger and Rory. It's hard to believe that us normal golfers I am built like don't them, have though. the same needs. I as am Tiger built Rory. like them, though. <laughs> um, but no, it just it just shows you that like going to a place like TrueSpec, and keep in mind, it is kind of hard. I'm very lucky that I live 15 minutes away from a TrueSpec uh, fitting sure. room. Um, just because there's only like what 19 worldwide. I think we have 21 now. Okay. Um, and then we have a mobile unit, actually multiple mobile units that can cover both the east and the west coast, mm -hmm. and we can drive this basically, uh, you know, bespoke engineered golf cart that carries all of our product offerings onto whatever range that um, you know we've partnered with to offer that service to the membership. Mm -hmm. um, so TrueSpec, while yeah, we have you know 21 locations domestically right now. Um, we can kind of cover hundreds of other places throughout the year with both of our mobile units. So it's pretty, pretty cool. And I also recommend someone get fitted because looking at the numbers of what you're actually doing, like your dynamic loft, your smash factor, your swing speed. Listen to you. Yeah. I know, right? Yeah, is good. extremely important because, for instance, let's say you're uh, an average golfer, like an 18 handicap like me. You think, oh, if I swing harder, I'm going to freaking pipe this thing. Mm -hmm. Well, with Sean, I was like, all right, dude. Now I know like I, what ball you know, swing speed is. I'm going to swing out of my shoes on this one and see what we get. I swung. I basically like dislocated my hip. <laughs> we got the number. And then I go, all right, now I'm just going to focus on like technique and just swing and just kind of be like nice and smooth. I swung. It was literally the same exact number. Yeah, it's wild. And that, yeah. and that showed me that now on the course when I think I can get a, an extra distance, I don't have the, the skill set to like add a couple extra like oomphs to my swing and actually see that. And in fact – what I'll see is like a slice or a chunk or a hook. And that I thought was really cool as well. 
Yeah, I mean, like, the more magnitude, I guess, that you provide the swing, if your body isn't used to that or can't handle that, it's really kind of just wasted energy, you know? Um, you may add more spin to the shot because the head is moving slightly differently. The closure rate might be different. You may be adding loft or subtracting loft, which would potentially lower the spin. Um, and all of those methods that the traditional player would think, oh, I'm going to hit this harder or farther or whatever, um, they can work against you. The kinematic sequence is so vitally important when sequencing the golf swing. And if you don't have that, you know, um, set after hours and hours and days and weeks and months of practice, uh, it can be very difficult to just turn that on, you yeah. know? Um, even just to implement a swing change, if you look at the top-level players who can dedicate, you know, six days a week, 10 hours a day to a swing change, it may take them between 18 and 24 months for that swing change to actually set in because your body wants to move a golf club the way it kind of figures out how it wants to move it. In order for you to reprogram your entire body and brain and muscle memory to that, it requires an amazing amount of, of repetition, practice, focus, athletic, um, you know, strive, I guess, those sorts of things. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, trying to just hit the crap out of a ball at random, it's not quite as, as simple as it sounds. Yeah. I'm going through that right now with the swing change, and it is, it's brutal. Like, I... I, I used to hook my irons very badly. Okay. And like I realized, because just from him watching my swing, that I swing more, I was swinging more like inside out, you would say? Yeah. Then I, what to me felt like I was going dead straight was actually inside out. Sure. And I changed that up, and like the, probably the first time, first few times out, tremendous. I mean, like, re- really hitting his irons like pure. Playing, yeah, hitting my irons mm-hmm. the best I ever had. And then after a few rounds, all of a sudden, I just, I got just a case of the shanks. Sure. Especially oh, with my wedges. Lamb shanks. Fat yeah. lamb shanks. That, that I, I, just, I just couldn't shake. Um, like, especially with the wedges. And, like, it, it's just fucking hard. You could, the thing is, you start making new mistakes with a new swing. Yeah. Like, you don't just fix the one thing, and then all, all of a sudden, that was the only thing that was wrong. Sure. You, <laughs> you, well, and then add pressure to that equation as well, yeah. right? Which is just going to make you not as confident because oh you're going to feel you, you like, oh man, I have to hit this shot. Mm-hmm. I have to hit it just right. And it creates this situation where you're trying harder. And if you haven't had that swing change fully set in yet, you just kind of revert back to it. The harder you try, the more you revert back to yeah. how your body naturally wants to move. And then you're chasing it, right? You don't have any confidence anymore because you hit a shank. And then you're like, I don't know what I'm doing out here. I mean, we've all been there. I've yeah. been doing that for like 25 years on yeah. the golf course. It's a, it's a I actually, I didn't even, until <laughs> yesterday, I like watched a few videos. I didn't even know why you shanked the ball. I thought it was my club face. Mm-hmm. You know, it's flying out at that crazy, like almost 90 degree angle. Yeah, yeah. I thought my club face was coming in too open. <laughs> Apparently, it's the exact opposite. Well, it's I like mean, I'm hitting it off the heel of the club. You're hitting the hosel. Yeah, exactly. Heel, right? Yeah. So like if you look at a proper blade club, you know, something that's actually forged from one piece, it starts off as a cylindrical billet of steel and then it's actually form shaped by hammering it into the shape of an iron so like that hosel is actually a part of the original billet of the steel that then gets rolled out into the shape of the iron so you're hitting like you know basically what the iron used to be not the actual blade that came out of it right and 
if you're hitting a round ball with a round cylindrical piece of metal, it's not going. You're straight. not going to know where it's going to go. <laughs> yeah. There's way and, too many angles on a circle. And you know, Pat Pat is uh was like not fitted for his clubs. He was luckily gifted them like my, by his dad. And not that like you know getting fit, fitted is going to fix any like you know I, I have a wicked slice. I got a driver. I'm hitting it way better. But I can't just like close my eyes and swing. It's going to go straight. You still there's still of course technique, swing path, all that kind of stuff. But I will say this. I recently just got fitted for my irons, and I had like kind of an idea of what I was gonna do. And uh, literally, Sean's first, um, what would you say, like assemble, assemblement of yeah. Clubs I mean, or, like, I usually pairing. yeah, I usually try yeah, a pairing like a wine pairing or something. Yeah, right. Like I'll watch a player, and I mean, my job is literally to sit back and watch people hit golf balls all day, right? And I'm so blessed to have that as a job because it's kind of my dream as a kid was like, man, how could I figure out a way to like do that, get paid for it and actually serve the game, help people get better, in- enhance their enjoyment. Um, I usually at this point, because I've just watched so many people hit, um, have a pretty good guess, you know, first guess as to our, you know, what's probably going to work best for them. And yeah, that T three hundred, right? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> he did a Titleist T three hundred, which probably means nothing to most people, but uh, very forgiving. Is it uh, Titleist newest irons? It's very forgiving. It's kind of like the high handicapper. It's like the two three hundred, two two hundreds, like kind of like mid, and the two one hundreds, kind of like the players club. Yeah, that's right. And then they have a couple other ones beyond yeah. that that are going to be seen primarily for tour players yeah. and really good ball strikers. But um, the T three hundred. You know, show me a better club for a 15 handicap or better. I, I still am waiting to see it. So we hit that. I hit that, and like we, I could have went home within like five minutes of the, of the fitting. Technically, I mean, you know, yeah, probably. But but with true spec, he's like, all right, fine, just pick out like whatever. What what, what do you want to hit? And I'm like, oh, let's do the TaylorMade, let's do the Callaway Forge, let's do the Mizzou. And I picked out like five or six different heads after we like narrowed down the shaft, and I just, I mean. 15 20 yard differential in some of the other heads yeah and like that's just like the difference it takes in in being able to try all these different products yeah i mean a lot of people when they buy golf clubs they're going off of what they've read you know from a Mm -hmm. forum online or one of the magazines everyone makes a good magazine every company makes a great product but there's no way you're going to know which one works for your swing without testing it first right Mm -hmm. so Yeah, I mean, like, I watch people hit golf balls all day, so I have a pretty good understanding of what's likely going to work really well for the player. Um, But at the end of the day, the player should be able to test multiple different heads Mm -hmm. and just see which one clicks with them. And to bring it down to, like, even, like, a more of a simplistic uh, form, if you're not a golfer, um, think about it this way. Why why are there different baseball bats? You know, if, Mm -hmm. if it was all the same feel, all the same thing, then every Major League Baseball player would be hitting the same... Louisville Slugger, or this, uh, every football player would have the same helmet or the same cleats. It's really like a feel and personal personal thing that kind of like helps you be more comfortable with, with, the, with the output of your game. Honestly, you know what it reminds me of is like buying a mattress. It's like, would you ever just buy a mattress because you read that it was good? Yeah. People do. Or would, but like most people either like take some kind of quiz, be like, all right, this one's for side sleepers, this one's for if you're hot, or you go to the place and you lay on them. Yeah. Like no one just... Goes like, oh, a mattress. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Let me get this one mattress. Yeah, it's not a digital answer, right? Yeah. It's an analog answer. There's yeah. many different options. There's firmness of the mattress, how thick it is, um, you know, how what size you want, that sort of thing. So golf is taking 
not an extraordinarily complex buying decision, making it really complex so we can get super granular and get the best overall solution. That's what I like about it, you know? Yeah. And, like, with you guys, too, because, you know, like I said, with buying a mattress, it's something that you, like, all right, do I like a firm mattress or do I like a plush mattress? People know that. No one knows if they like a bendy shaft or a stiff shaft <laughs> a just because, like, yeah. like just, just because they've played golf, like, with only one set of clubs their whole life. Sure, sure. You know? Absolutely. I mean, a lot of people get, like, hand-me-downs or, yeah. you know, a, a buddy, hey, you want to take these clubs? Sure. Um, there's been a couple examples that really stuck with me uh, when it comes to fitting and how quickly uh, the right equipment can prove to be a total game changer. I've had three clients in the two years I've worked for TrueSpec that came in, they were like, oh, I'm an 18 handicap and I'm watching their swing. And, you know, they obviously have equipment that's just not at all close to what they need. And their swing looks really good. And most of the time it's the shaft weight is totally wrong, right? Like that's the easiest way to kind of, you know, get someone from one category to another because um, shaft weight is super important. 10 grams, only 10 paper clips, when that's extended out over 37 and a half, 38 inches, can make a huge difference as far as feel and the body language of the player, how much weight they want to move. Um, a couple of, you know, all three of these different players uh, went from an 18 handicap with busted equipment to immediately probably four or five handicap. Because they wow. always had an amazing swing, and they had no idea that they were that good because the equipment was fighting them so much. You know, like the best examples, like, uh, you know, one of the clients that I worked with um, was swinging a six iron like 97, 98 miles an hour. And that's about as fast as what you'll see on the PGA Tour for most of the players. Some guys go a little faster, but and some guys a little slower. But 97 is a pretty good understanding of how quick these guys are and he's swinging golf clubs that are intended to be swung at like 75 so the shaft and the head are bending all over the place he has no clue where the head is he doesn't know if it's open or closed or at impact because he can't really see it because he's coming down at it 97 miles an hour and i'm looking back from my perspective and going if he just had a shaft that could keep up with that speed i bet he hits it a lot better and immediately he went from hitting you know, his six iron, 165 yards, it was spinning 7,000 RPM straight up into the air and coming down really short, it went left, it went right, it went one straight, all over the place. And I put him into uh, a stiffer, heavier shaft, and he immediately just started hitting the ball 190 yards in a three-foot circle, like six, seven times in a row. So, like, if that's a, that's a you know, that's a one in a hundred, probably, a one in 150 example, but sometimes it can literally be that elementary well sean i mean i mean be blunt how bad oh. were my clubs they're i mean the, those things are embarrassing they're the worst i've ever seen to call those golf <laughs> clubs i mean you know i mean dude, optus knights i mean my my mother bought those for like five dollars back in like oh one for christmas yeah so Bless i her mean heart. i actually had a knight driver Okay. When I was 12 years old. Um, yeah. I, I think we the same one. I've been in my closet And right you now. had all the chunks missing out of it oh, yeah. from dragging it on the cart path or whatever <laughs> the hell or hitting a pebble at the yeah. mini you played at, you know, multiple times. Like, look, not all golf clubs are created equal, obviously. Um, some of the manufacturers go as far as uh, they collaborate with uh, exotic car companies. They collaborate with uh, defense and aerospace companies to develop and hone uh, different golf clubs. Wow. 
not all clubs are created equal. It's a multi-billion dollar business. There's a tremendous amount of mm-hmm. R&D that goes on behind the scenes that most people could care less about. Yeah. Some people like me who are nerds about this stuff eat it up and think it's fascinating. Um, you know, at the, at the in the industry, everyone is trying to make a product for a specific player, right? And they're all patenting their their uh, innovations. So you can't just copy the same golf club. But as time has gone on, we've seen this with like cars as well, airplanes as well. Everyone's kind of figured out the best possible way to create, you know, the product. So they all starting, they're all starting to look pretty similar. Mm-hmm. Some companies just execute the product in mind better than others. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's why like, if you look throughout the 75 or 85 iron heads I have in the box that I have at my store, you know, there might only be six or seven different form factors that are truly like in their own category, mm-hmm. right? Like that there's one, ca- that one huge Callaway was like, yeah, very... like, but there's like five or six different versions of okay. a really strongly lofted golf club that goes far and has a low center of gravity. that launches up mm-hmm. So I guess the point I'm trying to make is there's five, six different categories of iron out there. And each category, there's one product that's just a little bit better than the other. And they're not all made by the same companies. Mm -hmm. So for like a player's distance iron, like, um, you know, X company's product is superior to all of their competitor products. They might not fit everyone who needs that type of iron, but they figured out the best way to design and develop and execute that particular product for, let's say, a five handicap who needs to hit the ball a little bit farther. Mm-hmm. So, like, you see that T300 is a great example, right? There's a lot of clubs that look kind of like the T300 from different manufacturers, but they don't work quite as well. And I'll stand for Titleist on that particular product because, I mean, it's the best. And the one that came before it was the AP1. And I mean, that club was the best beginner's iron as well. So they figured out a secret sauce for, you know, that type of uh, category of iron and they have executed it very nicely to your benefit. Yes. If my grandpa knew we were saying positive things about Titleist on our podcast, <laughs> he would be livid. He hates Titleist. Wait, who do you so work for much. again? Top Flight. So he was the VP of sales for Top Flight back in the day. Um, before, I, I, what was like the. Um, the, the balls now are they um they used to be wound balls right that was like the the old when Titleist was still making those yep and i guess at the time top flight had like they were the first ones to come out with whatever the new style of ball is well i think it was balada and now it's like you know it's either urethane or plastic the urethane balls are the premium balls uh it's interesting you said top flight because i'm from longmeadow massachusetts not far from chickabee mass where the uh, Spalding and Top Flight yeah. Ball Factory. Yeah, he works for Spalding, yeah. which is now owned by Callaway. Um, and Titleist is from the other side of Massachusetts, um, in Fairhaven, yeah. and that's where they have their golf ball plants. So there was, you know, a lot of there was like uh, a golf ball war. There was a little bit of a war. There's actually a great documentary on YouTube they, uh, about top, it too. Uh, Spalding sued Titleist when they came out. I think with the Pro V1, because yep. they said they copied Top Flight. He, he tells me all the times like we won eight out of nine <laughs> <laughs> lawsuits and then the last one they you know they won it yeah, <laughs> so he yeah. hates Titleist. Well, um, look, I don't play favorites. <laughs> I try and identify the best products, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, like I said, I brand agnostic is the best yeah. way for me to not get uh, 
you know, uh, involved in any of the favor biased. Yeah. yeah the, the biases or the politics within golf industry. I honestly don't care. I just want to help people hit the ball better. Oh, yeah. And that's what takes so much pressure off of my job because I literally, you know, one of the best parts about my job is, you know, like a, a police officer, for example, right? They're probably seeing people on like their worst day of the week. You know, usually that's what kind of interaction they have to do. You know, social workers deal with horrible things all the time. People come in to see me and they're like a, a kid in a candy store. I mean, it's, it's amazing. Like, so they're always in a wonderful mood, which makes me be able to, you know, experience joy and, and uh, be really excited and, and helpful and passionate about like, hey, let's work together. Let's figure out the best solution for your game. And I mean, it's kind of a, a really cool thing. I'm very, very lucky for it. Now, I have a question because um, pretty soon uh, I'll be coming in for uh, wedges. Okay. Now, how is like, I know you want to have generally four degrees of loss uh, of loft separation between clubs. In general, right? Yeah, four or five. Yeah. So um, now do you test by, like, all right, let's say we look at my approach wedge, right? Which is, I think, a 48 degree. Okay. So will you just give me a 52 and see what happens or? Um, it it kind of depends. I mean, the wedge fitting is more of a conversation every wedge should have a very specific role in your bag. You know, like for example, I play a 62 wedge because that's the club I'm going to pull out. If I'm in a bunker with not much green to work with, or I need to hit a ball super high in the air, I'm probably not taking a full swing with that club almost ever. Right. Mm -hmm. It's literally designed specifically for the Oh crap shot. Right. Very hard near the green. Yeah. Uh, my 56 wedge, which is, you know, six, six degrees, uh, less loft than the 62, but that's usually my highest lofted wedge outside of the oh crap wedge. Um, it's a little bit more versatile. It's my typical bunker club. Um, I, but I also really like to chip with it, right? And hit pitch shots inside like 80 yards. I, I chip with my 55 right now. 55, okay. Yeah. So like That would be considered, that's like what most people call a lob wedge, sand right? Wedge. Sand, sand wedge. is yeah. 56 and the lob, lob is wedge what, usually like is at least 58 Do up you? to like 60. Lob and approach are kind of like um, Similar. Uh, synonymous, like words. They're an- antonyms as it was antonyms, in English. Yeah, because the that, approach wedge. Synonyms. synonyms, thank you very yeah, much. Th- the opposite. Thank you very much. Well, a lob wedge and an approach wedge are opposite. Oh, they are. Yeah. So, like, an approach wedge <laughs> is usually. That's why we have you here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you have a pitching wedge, right? Which yeah. is one more than a nine iron, right? So it's kind mm-hmm. of the ten iron, mm-hmm. I guess. And then the approach wedge, um, traditionally, you didn't need them because irons used to be much more uh, weakly lofted, and now they've gotten stronger and stronger as they've figured out ways to launch them higher. Um, but essentially an approach wedge is almost like your 11 iron, but it's also a really good like bump and run club for some people. The conditions always play a huge part. Like down in Southern California, usually the ground is very dry, hard. Um, you have really thin lies. You don't want a really wide sole on that, on the wedge, because if you hit just behind the ball, the bounce of the wedge will actually bring the leading edge into the golf ball a little bit higher on the uh, the surface of the ball, which may lead to a bladed shot. You know, you something hit that like hard ground ball just straight across the yeah. green. Yeah, I think yeah. you know something yeah. about that. Oh God, Pat yeah. has Pat has a lot of uh, singles and doubles. <laughs> Pat Pat loves hitting the <laughs> shanks. Lot, lot, yeah, and the a lot blades. a lot of ground ground ball yeah. doubles. Yeah. Um, but in like you know New England where I grew up or when you went to school, yeah. you know where the ground's a lot more lush and it's a little bit softer. 
having more bounce and a higher leading edge of the club can actually help you out and save you from, um, you know, chunking the ball. Mm -hmm. Because if the ground's really soft and wet, you can come down on it and the leading edge can get stuck in the ground. And then all of a sudden you decelerate and the ball runs about six inches in front of you and you want to throw your club. So like, you know, figuring out the right wedge setup is important. Um, mainly by understanding, okay, what shot are you going to hit with each of these clubs, okay? So if you have the 48, you probably could use a 52. Mm-hmm. I probably wouldn't go from 48 to 54 because you'll have a little bit of a gap. Because right now I hit my Callaway Forged, uh, I think it's like 52, and it has like a 10 under it. Yeah, that's the bounce angle. Okay. okay? So that's like from the back or the bottom of the sole mm-hmm. up to the leaning edge. There's a little bit of an angle there. Okay. And the more bounce, the higher that number is, usually you'll see up to like 14 degrees. Okay. And as low as about four, and that's pretty aggressive. Yeah. Um, that will give you the measurement of, you know, where the sole of the, the club is relative to the leading edge. And the bigger the number, usually you're going to want to play from in softer conditions. Um, Got it. Because okay. that'll save you from that leading edge digging. Okay. Right. But in SoCal, usually people are going to play a little bit lower bounce wedges just to make sure you get underneath <coughs> the ball, that mm-hmm. leading edge, because that's what gets the ball up in the air. Does that make sense? Yeah. Cool. And I feel like um, for most golfers around like our skill level, biggest problem is consistency. Like you can hit the ball just fine, yeah. but you don't do it most of the time. Is that like really what? The fitting is kind of just going to up your consistency a ton. Like you're Absolutely. going to hit the ball purely way more often. Yep. I mean, look, it's still up to you to make a good shot. Of course. Right. I can only give you the the equipment that I think is going to give you the highest floor of your missed shots. I like to really raise, you know, the bad shots into acceptably bad shots because. Which is huge for most guys. Yeah. Who, like right, the regular golfer. Well, for everyone. At the highest level, the game is managing misses. Tiger Woods will tell you that he might have, you know, not today. He didn't play super well in the PGA Championship. uh, I I mean, like two two. over B, you know. Yeah. I'd I'd love that. But, like, I bet if he, you know, even went back to, like, the the 97 Masters where he won by, you know. 10 or something. I think it was 12. I might be wrong. 15 in the U.S. Open, 2000. Um, I bet he only would admit to hitting, you know, a handful of shots perfectly. Right. Everything else was a little bit of a miss. I know it sounds kind of flippant and silly, but, um, you know, at our level, right, the misses are magnified tremendously because mm-hmm. he might be one millimeter off of dead center. And that to him is considered, eh, I didn't hit it perfect. And he'll be able to feel that. We probably can't feel that if it's one. I, I would say within like three millimeters of dead center, four millimeters of dead center. I, you're probably not noticing anything other than, oh, my God, I hit it perfect, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But every 10 millimeters or so off the center, you start losing, I, I've read between, like, 3 and 5% of the ball speed, and then you start feeling more vibration in the club, which runs up your hands, and then you're like, oh, man, it feels like you hit a baseball in front of freezing cold spring yeah. day, and, and like, it hurts. For reference, how many millimeters would you say would be just, like, an absolute mishit? I mean, anything over probably like 25 to 30 is not great. Yeah. Um, you know, like most faces of, of reasonably sized irons, um, you know, they, they're 55, 60 millimeters, somewhere in that range. Um, if you are straight up like 30 millimeters off the center, like that's going to hurt pretty good usually. What is that, like two inches? Yeah, about that. I don't I'm that. 
thinking in centimeters and inches together, I, I, yeah. I can't, I'm very I can't tell you right the now. exact <laughs> one. Because <laughs> you said 30-something 30, 30 millimeters, that's... Three centimeters? Uh, yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, I think that might be a, like an inch, maybe. Maybe an inch. I yeah. mean, it's a game of. It's a fact, though. I'm your boss. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> but basically, but like that's such a small little yes. like to think about, like because I mean, for Americans especially, we put everything in. Yeah. I can't think yeah. in centimeters. Yeah. Um, like if you're a full, if you're inch an inch off, off the center, like that's gonna not feel great for sure. Um, yeah. Two inches yeah. off the center, it's gonna be pretty a blade or a, yeah. yeah. But you know, when when you hit the, to answer your question, like basically when when you do hit on the simulator, you will see your different scatter plot for each club, and obviously like the tighter the scatter, the more consistent and probably the less like you know mishits you have. Um, the better, obviously. I mean, it's not going to, like, for me, my miss hit before, um, and hopefully it'll stop, is, like, chunking it. That's more of, like, a technical thing. I think I get too, like, arm-driven and not enough hips, and I'm kind of, like, just using my arms. You and throw the club at it a little I bit. Just, yeah. Like, yeah. But, you know, that's not going to, you know, that wouldn't help if I have, like, new clubs. It's just kind of, like, I have to work on that. But in terms of, like, for instance, when I did the uh, the, the uh, Titleist fitting, my consistent miss hit was kind of like a pull a little bit, whereas my other clubs, it was just all over the place yeah so it, yeah. it definitely tightened that that radius of shots for yeah sure. and that's what i like about you know focusing for irons on a shaft first you know most of our heads are within a couple grams of each other so if we find a shaft that will work really well for you while it's not perfect usually um, you'll be able to hit all these different iron heads with that same shaft somewhat consistently so that, that's the biggest difference for most people is the shaft Again, it's it's a chicken or the egg thing. We get this question yeah. a lot. It's Your really kind really of good. interesting. It's like, well, I like to think of the shaft as uh, like the chassis of the car, the suspension, the transmission, all that put together, right? And the head is the engine, how much horsepower you can really give it. You can modulate how fast that car goes, how high it goes, how much it spins with the head much more than you can with the shaft. But you have to be able to hit the head with its full horsepower while you're under control. Does that make sense? Yeah. So like, you know, if it's almost like the shaft is your consistency. Yeah. Like the shaft gives you the stability to consistently hit whatever motor you put in that car. Right. If you, you can like a Porsche 911, right. Um, great car, obviously, uh, they've gotten only better in time. You can only put so much horsepower in that car before it starts getting a little, and you could put a lot of horsepower in a 911, but let's say like a Toyota Corolla or something, right? If you put a 600 horsepower Toyota or engine in that Toyota Corolla with front wheel drive and like, you know, uh, not like not having independent rear suspension, stuff, that car would be all <coughs> over the place. You'd never be able to control it. You'd have so much trouble driving it, but it, hey, it's got all kinds of horsepower. It must be really fast. It's all about controlling that power, right? So, like, different iron heads will, for a six iron, like, I have six irons in my, in the box at the store that are 23 degrees. I have other six irons that are 32 degrees. There's a nine degree delta in just how much loft that club has. Obviously, the one with 23 degrees, because of how much less angle there is on the face, is going to go a lot faster off that face. Mm -hmm. You're going to get way more ball speed. Um, on the other side of the thing... Um, the 32-degree head is going to launch a lot higher and generally create a lot more spin than a 23-degree head, right? Depending on how you're hitting it, like, you might not be able to hit 
the 32 degree uh, shaft if I give you a really, um, what, what was the word you said? Uh, bendy, bendy shaft. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Flexible would be the actual Flexible yeah. shaft. You probably would hit the 23 degree shaft better with a really bendy club because there's just more um, forward impact or, or less angle of the head at impact. So it's probably going to go a little bit straighter with a bendy shaft, but you're not going to have nearly the control. Um, so it, from a numbers perspective, the head is more important than the shaft. I want to make that clear, mm-hmm. but the numbers that the head can give you can't do you any good if you can't hit it consistently. That yeah, no, no, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Now, to uh, to break away slightly from like the, the numbers and analytics um, and get more like, you know, spiritual about golf. Oh, I love it. Um, Speaking of my language. can't be won, only played. Yes, mm-hmm. I like that. Um, I want you to give me your uh, perfect foursome. It could be mm-hmm. f- fictional or realistic. Your okay. perfect foursome. Your perfect tee-off time. Okay. okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, your uh, perfect course. And then you're having just a horrible day. What is the one shot that you'll hit on the 18th or maybe the whatever throughout the day that's like, okay, this is why I'm going to make a tee time next week. Got it. Got it. Okay. So So we'll do perfect foursome. Perfect foursome. Absolutely. You would have to throw Tiger Woods in there because like everyone our age, we grew up watching Tiger, idolized him to a certain extent, (laughs) even though I did like golf before Tiger. And I feel like uh, Tiger – made golf way harder because so many better athletes started playing it once he started playing, which ended up being a massive disadvantage for a guy like me. So (laughs) it is what it is. It wasn't just old white guys. The Irishman. Yeah, right, exactly. So, um, but definitely Tiger Woods. I would think, um, you know, I would want, uh, hmm, I mean, I honestly haven't thought much about the perfect foursome. I'll throw Mm. my dad in there. Okay. I'll throw my dad in there for sure. So that just leaves one other person. Um, and I feel like it would have to be some sort of historical figure okay, or cool. maybe even a non-historical figure, a fictional character of some sort. But um, hmm, I'd probably say, like, I don't want to sound too cliche, but, like, George Washington would be really okay. interesting. Just be like, dude, like, look at how crazy the world's gotten since yeah. you were, you know. I like that. Uh, Totally different thing. Um, and I think that's sorry to interrupt. But I think that's so cool because I correct me if I'm wrong. The reason why you can pick someone like George Washington, or the reason why you wanted to, is because what people don't understand if they don't play golf is you get to know so much about a person in one round. How often do you spend five hours with someone uninterrupted? Where, for me personally, my phone is in my bag the entire round. And it just really allows you to kind of like peel the layers yeah. away. Oh, how do they act when they get mad? How do, how do they act when they have a great hit? What about a bad hit, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, that is kind of the most uh, – It's look, golf has so many facets of how great it is. And I could go on and on, like all these different levels of, hey, did you not think about this? Because there's another level to how cool this thing is and check this out. But – um, it's a very good point. Like you can kind of pick any historical figure in, in history because you'll get to know the person really well. You really see their true character, right? Like, I mean, that's something I have to be really cognizant of when I play golf because when I was a kid 
and I didn't have the responsibility of working in the golf industry, like I would get frustrated and I'd swear and I would Mm -hmm. bang my club. I never broke a club or really threw one outside of dropping it on the ground aggressively. Um, But like, you know, I realized it's like, okay, this is important. I need to make sure I'm not doing anything stupid to to make the game look bad Mm -hmm. because, um, you know, it's, it really does come down to what your character is. You know, there's so many different, um, pitfalls within a round of golf, uh, so many problems you have to overcome, so much belief that you have to go out on a, on a leap of faith to pull off some shots sometimes. And, you know, for some people, uh, they don't necessarily feel the weight of the world on a five foot putt. I always have, I don't know why. I mean, (laughs) it's, it's kind of a curse to, to be like, I have this five foot putt that no one's ever going to know if I made or not, but I'll know. And I'll be either happy for the rest of the day or I won't be happy. Um, I'll try and think of someone else besides George Washington because I'm aware that's kind of lame. Maybe I would even go like JFK instead of George Washington. JFK would be fun. I think it would be really fun because that guy was an animal. Um, in all different senses of let's get some whiskey boys let's drink yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) exactly um perfect uh um course uh i mean i grew up on a course called twin hills country club in long meadow mass i worked there for six years throughout high school and some of college and i probably played that course 500 times and to this day i still dream about playing that course all the time when i go home we're not members of that course. Like, I don't know anyone there, so I can't go out and play. Maybe, may, I, I think I know, like, two members, and maybe we'll cross paths and I'll get a chance to play again at some point. But I love that course. I would definitely say, though, you know, I've had the privilege of playing a couple amazing golf courses out here and back east. Uh, you know, whether it's Augusta or Cypress, though, is kind of up for debate. Cypress always wins number one. I know a ton of people who've played Cypress at this point. I've met so many out here that have played it and everyone says it's just like the greatest walk you'll ever embark on. And it's like a totally different round of golf. Um, Augusta, you know, I don't know which one's more realistic for me to play. I think, I think there is an outside chance I can play Cypress. Um, Augusta is going to take, you know, they've turned presidents down. Yeah. Like it, that'll be interesting to ever get on. I did go there in 2015. I got to watch a practice round for the masters and that was, that was uh, a species. Amazing. Um, it was Jordan species Yep. He was playing with tiger woods and Ben Crenshaw in a practice round on that Wednesday. And then, um, yeah, Talk about a, a legendary I know. group of Ben yeah. Crenshaw and Tiger Woods. Amazing, right? Wow. Amazing. And then uh, after that, we went to the par three that they play every Wednesday, and Jack Nicholas made a hole in one on. I think it was like the sixth hole, and wow. I got to see every player that you had ever lived walk right by us. We were sitting right on the first tee, um, and uh, you know, I was with my with my dad out there, and I mean, it was like the greatest memory ever. You know, That's it's amazing. absolutely amazing place. It almost looks fake. How, how well dressed up it is. It's like Disney World. You know, like when you go to Space Mountain, I guess you guys might be more Disneyland. I don't know. But like Space we're, Mountain. We're from the East Coast. From Jersey. Oh, okay. World, yeah. Perfect. So, um, yeah. So like Disney World in Orlando, you'd walk into like Space Mountain and there would be fake caves that you'd walk through. And that sort of concept almost felt the same as like what Augusta was with all of the perfect grass yeah. and like the Nothing perfect Nothing can be this mulch. perfect. Yeah, and it was it was something else. Um, so maybe I'll get to play there one day. I'm not going to say I, it can't happen. Yeah, why not? Well, you know, you got to think it into existence. And maybe at least it. the par three, you know? Uh, yeah, the par three would be awesome, too. Do you think anyone will ever win the par three and the Masters? Um, sure, why not? Yeah. yeah. 
I mean, a lot of the holes, there's so much variance in the par three, though, because everyone can make a hole in one on any hole. And that's what makes it really difficult, right? That's why that's kind of the same reason why Tiger didn't want to play easy courses growing up, right? In in the PGA Tour because an easy course, you have so many more people with a chance to win. He only wanted to really play the hard ones, so he's like never played TPC River Highlands out near Hartford. You know that was the local golf tournament that I would always go to as a kid. Um, you know, guys shoot twenty three under par there. You know, yeah. So like. If it becomes a birdie fest, the variance of who can win kind of comes into play. And that's probably the only thing that would separate the opportunity. That's probably the reason why no one's ever won the par three and masters before, because anyone can shoot six under on those nine holes, Yeah, you Mm -hmm. know, and that makes it challenging. So now is there a perfect like tea time? Do you prefer a, a lunch before you play a breakfast before you play? Like getting up with the sunset, playing with the sun going down. Yeah, I think if I'm on a trip with, like, my friends, I'd want to play 7 a.m., you know? Nice. Do sweeping a little bit. Do sweeping's fun. Um, do you eat breakfast? Do you go just with a coffee? You know, I used to not drink coffee because I had very low tolerance for caffeine, and I would have, like, half a coffee, and my hands would start shaking. Now, I mean, I'm just, you know, you drink coffee every just day just gasoline. to keep up. Yeah, <laughs> drink black coffee every day, basically, so... Um, Definitely would go with a coffee. Wouldn't want to eat too much. I've been eating so many Cliff Bars lately, you know, since quarantine started. Mm-hmm. And trying to cook your own food and always running out of all this stuff. I just I bought like a huge box of Cliff Bars, so that's a good like you know pre-round snack. Maybe one during the round two, banana or fruit, something like that. Yogurt. I like that stuff before. Mm-hmm. Nothing too heavy to kind of you know weigh you down. Um, and then, as much as I like the morning rounds. Uh, some of my favorite rounds have always been, you know, in the golden hour, you know, like you ever played barefoot at like 8 p.m. middle of summertime up in uh, New England. I mean, it's it's pretty special. Like you're out with nature, you know, um, as long as you can avoid the mosquitoes, there's really not quite a time like it, you mm-hmm. know. But uh, if I had to pick one, I would, I'd go morning for sure. I like that. Yeah. And then let's say, I mean, you're just playing horrible all day. Like you're trying to keep it together. Yeah. But what's like the one shot that if you hit, or it could just be the favorite shot you hit, you're just like, oh my God, this is why I play the game. I mean, if I like nut a three wood, um, that's that feels good from the deck. Like, yeah. I mean, it sounds like it's not that hard of a shot. I hit a shot like that a couple weeks ago and I made eagle on a par five and that it like... It was just like the best shot I could have possibly hit because it's so difficult. The less loft on the club and the longer the club is, inherently the more difficult it is to hit. So when you can pull that off, it's easy to pull off in practice. But when you're under the gun, you're like, okay, I'm going for this par five and two. Like, lie is not perfect. Yeah. I'm not saying I reach many par fives and two because I don't hit the ball very far at all. But like those random times I get the chance, if I decide – screw it, I'll go for it, especially after a rough day, and I pull that shot off. Those are the ones that stick with you for a long time. I know. It, it keeps yeah. you going for sure. Yeah. yeah. Pat, what about you? Uh, perfect foursome. Honestly, I'd probably put you in it just because I I, yeah, I, I, be, I I think you need to have someone there who's non-famous to enjoy <laughs> having, like like how you put your dad yeah, in. Yeah. You, need, you need another regular to enjoy being there with <laughs> yeah. and to okay. not embarrass yourself by like playing with. Yeah, yeah. Um, and even though my Tiger is my favorite golfer, I wouldn't put him in just because I think he's he's a little too competitive. I think I'd go with Phil. I think Phil would be okay. the most fun to play with. He would be fun to play with for sure. And then, as far as like someone from history, I'm torn between Babe Ruth and Teddy Roosevelt. 
wow. I think would okay. both be great historical golf figures. I, I don't like know that. if Teddy Roosevelt played, but I know Babe Ruth played. Well, he walked hard and carried a big stick. Exactly. So right. I don't think he and walked he, hard. He walked slow, quietly and carried a big stick. I think Teddy Roosevelt. That's yeah. What it is. Yeah. Walk, yeah. Walk yeah. softly. Walk yeah. softly. Yeah. Yeah. Thank softly. you. Thank you Thank for you. yeah. Thank you very much. And then, I mean, Babe Ruth would definitely. I think both both of them would be a blast. Teddy Roosevelt, I think, is a little crazy. But <laughs> yeah, he's a wild dude. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like he he enjoyed killing things, including <laughs> including people. Yeah. He killed multiple people. Yeah. Hilarious. Right? Yeah. 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 Wow. yeah. And My Babe God. Ruth was definitely a partier, so I think they would both be pretty great. Yeah, for sure. Mickey Mantle too. Oh, Mickey oh Mantle would be a good one. When you said Babe Ruth, I was like, Mickey Mantle. But he may yeah. be a little too unhinged. Yeah, he's, yeah. yeah. It's like, yeah. Hey, hey, Mick, let's keep I, like, I'm not sure I'd be able to drive home after a round yeah. with Mickey Mantle. He'd like hit on the car, like the, uh, you know, the beer girl. Yeah. You know? oh. Like, oh. What are you doing yeah. after this? Like, I'm just he, wouldn't, he wouldn't just hit on her. He'd probably hang <laughs> 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 her behind the third yeah. hole. <laughs> he, um, he would hit a driver like 350 yards back in the 60s. Yeah. Wow. Like, That's they, crazy. He would hit a lot of balls. And with, whatever um, dog shit drivers they had yeah, back then, with persimmon drivers, you hit them 350. Like, wow. he's just an absolute savage. What a natural athlete. He's yeah. one of those guys. Totally. I mean, he's one of the 15 best baseball players ever. And every ten, time you... Probably. Yeah, probably 10. Yeah. And every time you hear, like, people who watched him talk about him, they still always talk about how good he could have been. Mm-hmm. That's how you know you're just, like, an insane natural talent. Yeah. 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 Uh, and perfect I mean, tea time. Or we can do course first. Course? I mean, I don't know if it's like the best course, but I want to play St. Andrews so badly. Like that's oh, where mm, golf cool. was invented. Of course, sure. And like to to be able to walk down the hole where the first time golf was ever played, I think would be just the craziest experience to me. That's great. And then I would say like one p.m. You know, I'm a late riser. Um, <laughs> I, I would yeah. I'd love to wake up at like eleven, have a like a smoothie for breakfast, get mm-hmm. to the course in time for like a you know, yeah, a, a small yeah, bucket. Yeah. yeah, small bucket, little putting, little chipping. Play like 1 p.m. Right, that. That's good. And what was that? What's that shot that's bringing you back? Um, I'd like maybe like 190 uh, out, hit a five iron just perfectly onto the green. Mm-hmm. Like wow. when, when you hit a five iron nicely and it gets that nice rise, you know, it's not, you yeah, don't like hit that. it low, just <laughs> skyrockets nice and high and just right on the green. I like that. Yeah. Long irons, man. Long irons. Oh, yeah. They get you. Yeah. Do the best. Uh, let's see. Foursome, <clears throat> I put you in there too because oh, you guys are so cute. We we're, are. we're adorable. I mean, we've <laughs> known each other since preschool. It, it, like you know, people. Yeah. A lot of people say this, but like we're basically like family. Yeah. I mean, we're our families are we're we have ver- Thanksgiving together. Yeah, we're we're very great. very close. Um, so Pat and also Pat because he's one of the. Although when I do play golf, I'm extremely competitive against myself. I'm always competing against myself. But Pat's also one of the people that if he does well, I'm genuinely happy for him because <laughs> yeah. I'm also just very competitive in general. Yeah. So yeah, if yeah, he yeah. like does really well, it's a nice shot. I can actually say honestly, I'm happy for you. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, other guy. Uh, I love my buddy Mike, but he he's one of the guys that just like when he does well, I don't know how he does well because he just disrespects the game with like yeah. drivers on par threes, you know? Yeah. Um, so I don't think I could say Mike just because <laughs> he bothers me so he much. He would embarrass you in front of these Mike. historical figures. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, right. I would love to play with uh, Keith Richards. Wow. Okay. Uh, I think... I mean, he, he probably wouldn't play, just like drink a bottle of Jack Daniels and smoke cigarettes. I mean, but I would just love to talk to him. I worked with a guy who worked for Atlantic Records back in the day. He said he pulled Keith Richards out of a palm tree once. Really? That was his best best Keith Richards story. Oh, I yeah. love that. It's great. Uh, so I think I think <laughs> Keith Richards would be my like historical figure. Uh, 
kind of you know historical, but you know, kind of like famous. He's old know. enough to be historical. Yeah, yeah. Because um, I would just love to be able to talk to him about just. I think Rolling Stones is the greatest rock and roll band ever to live. I would just love to hear about his his journey. Yeah. And then um, in terms of like a golfer, because I, I love having a golfer who's way better than me, just so I can kind of like compete against them a little bit and also have them give me some tips. Because I'm always open to tips. Um, so that'd probably be either Tiger or Phil. I think I get along better with Phil. They were kind of like goofy together. Yeah, you have to wonder if Tiger's actually fun to play with. He seems a lot different now. He seems a lot. Yeah, he's a lot more relaxed these days. And it was interesting, like when he won the Masters and it was this amazing achievement, it didn't feel that important to me anymore, right? Mm -hmm. Because he was just completely exposed and like he was just another guy. He didn't have that like... The mystique. The mystique with him anymore, I feel like. It was stripped bare. And so, some people may argue that made it more interesting. But it did for me. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, I was just like, oh, yeah, he won. I mean, it's amazing personal accomplishment. But I was kind of like, it doesn't feel like yeah. it, I thought it was going to feel. I don't know. Like, that was kind of. He was almost like, in, when, in his reign of dominance, was almost like a Terminator. You're yeah. like, what is this thing yeah, out what there is this? Right. that, like. You know, nobody sees him play his practice rounds. He'll, like, before anyone comes in, he'll finish his practice round. Yeah, yeah. And he won't talk to anyone while he plays. Like, yeah, there, yeah. there was sort of a, can, can he fail? Right, right. I'd still love to watch him up close, though, for oh, 18 yeah. holes and just, like, observe each shot, how he's doing them. Because sometimes you'll see him on the Golf Channel even warming up for, like, the night before, uh, like, the major. On uh, Wednesday night, we were watching at the house. And he's hitting these ridiculous like flop shots and stuff, and just practicing all these different moves. And we're just—it's like, why is this so interesting to watch, mm-hmm. right? But yeah, I just um, imagine if he didn't go through what he went through, yeah, like how unbelievable it would have been at that point. How I mean, you—you you must have been just over the moon with it. I mean, it, oh, of course, we—we we were just blown it. away. But I just I. I felt like the perspective had changed quite a bit with him, you know, but yeah. I still would do anything to play golf with him one day. Oh, absolutely. Even if he didn't talk to me, I wouldn't care. Don't, yeah. don't say a word. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'd and still then, take it. Yeah. <laughs> of course. I just am enamored by Augusta. Mm-hmm. I think it's just an absolutely gorgeous course. I'd have to hit like three wood or five iron off the tee the whole day, but I would just love to be able to walk that course. Cause one of the things I really want to do, I usually take carts and carts are great. You can kind of just like hop in and zoom around. But I would love to be able to walk the course because a lot of these courses, um, I mean, I think every course, the architect designs it so that you're able to walk it and kind of experience the undulation and the views and stuff. I think when you're in a golf course, the more machinery you have, the more distraction and, sure. um, you know, uh, there's more barriers in front of you where you can't, you know, oh, I never noticed that a tree looked like that or Look at like look at the mountains right there. You know, I think walking would be really really cool. Um, so yeah, so definitely Augusta. I never play this tea time, but there's something extremely romantic about like the six thirty tea time or the seven, yeah. where it's like you're on the practice round. It's kind of cold. You're drinking your cup of coffee. The back is tight. The sun isn't even up yet. You're hitting your your shots. The dew is like the the grass clippings are all over your feet. Like you knock them out in the on the concrete before you get to the first tee, um, and then the shot that brings you back every time I hit it. I I could be literally dropping all day OB, and if I hit this one shot, it I'm like this is why I play. It's um, any wedge, preferably like 52 to 55 degree wedge. Um, 
I'm uh, so like you know 100 yards out, let's say. The uh, green is slightly below me, but it's an even line, mm-hmm. and I just clip it perfectly to where it's like that feeling where you didn't hit anything, yet you see this beautiful chunk of grass and mud come up in front of you, yeah. and a little bit gets in your forehead, but you don't even mind. <laughs> the the and, pelt. Yeah. yeah, and you're able to just look at this ball for what feels like five minutes, and then it just, thump, and you get like a, just a little roll back, mm-hmm. and you're like... You take off the glove, you're like, I'm putting, baby. Yeah, it's very majestic. It's extremely majestic. This is why you guys are content creators, because you make it sound so beautiful, right? Like, I'm, <laughs> I'm just some, like, you know, guy who, like, doesn't understand, like, the hardcore math behind physics, but really loves the physics concepts, and I nerd out about that, and you're, like, way more artistic. Like, it sounds like <laughs> you love the go- game way more than me. <laughs> this is the first time we've any anybody's ever said we make anything sound beautiful. That's yeah, for yeah. sure. <laughs> We're toning it back you so much. It's terrific. During this episode. <laughs> I mean, I haven't mentioned Pat's... Never mind. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so, uh, hey, listen, we're right at an hour. I think this is a perfect really? place wow. to stop. Um, I think this is an absolutely great episode. I appreciate you coming by. So much fun. Yeah. And oh, um, fun. thank you guys for... Having me, giving me a platform to, 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 you know, share my passion for the game. Oh, absolutely. Like, can, can I just say one thing based on what you had just talked about? Like the hills that you notice and like the machinery t- pulling it away. That is the best part of the game, I think. And it, there's so many levels to it. The more you learn how to play, the more you can start appreciating the nature around you. If you think about it, like you're going for a hike, but you're also playing a game while doing this hike in a beautiful area you know, especially if you're walking, you get six miles in under your belt, especially if you play in the morning, like mm-hmm. by lunchtime, it's like, <laughs> I've already walked six miles. I've like interfaced with nature. I've seen birds, eagles, you know, all these things. Um, you know, there's a, there's a lot of metaphors within golf, like the idea that um, you're making birdies and eagles, like it is a hunt, right? Yeah. You're getting prepared to walk down this course and put ball on target or a bullet on target into a hole which counts and if you look at it that way you can really start opening up all of the different things that golf stands for means and what it represents like from the tee shot all the way to the 18th hole i mean it's it's pretty amazing how deep it is and being that we're in a pandemic and the golf industry is going crazy because it's like the perfect sport for social distancing i think more people are starting to like get a hold of how uh, important it is, how enjoyable it is, and how useful it is just as, like, this thing we can all do, right? It's way cheaper than going fishing. I know that sounds crazy. No, no, it is. It is. It's way cheaper than fishing because if you want to fish right, you need a boat. You need a trailer to tow the boat. You need a truck to tow the, tow the trailer. You need lures, lines, fishing license, uh, renewables all the time, like, Fishing is way more expensive. Yeah, yeah. Bait. fishing is way more expensive than golf. And everyone looks at golf, oh, this crazy elitist, you know, rich sport. I mean, there's so many different ang- avenues that golf can expand and continue to grow in. And we're at the very, like, the precipice of it. I re- there was a stat that ran on TV last night. Um, there's like 26,000 PGA professionals. There's 170 African-American PGA professionals in that. So, yes, it's a very white sport, but, I mean, that is such a tiny percentage. Think about where it can go, right? Mm -hmm. We have all of this infrastructure. 
and it's inexpensive and there's all of these you know sure there's gonna be some environmentalists that complain about the agronomy costs and the water usage and all that stuff but if you look at like los angeles right if we didn't have all of these golf courses so close to downtown can you imagine how bad the environment would be oh my god yeah. like i mean think about like los angeles country club has this half mile stretch right off wilshire where there's no congestion and there's 176 acres or maybe even bigger than that of beautiful manicured property right at the edge of the hill the only thing that represents the same type of nature impact is like a cemetery right <laughs> yeah you can't really use a cemetery other than to mourn you know and remember mm-hmm. golf you can actually enjoy it so i just think golf is uh super important i hope it continues to grow and i hope it helps people find some peace in this crazy time that we're in you know absolutely it's such a it's like my as an adult especially when you're not like playing the sports you did growing up it's i find it's just the best way to challenge yourself that's right like you compete against yourself I mean, there's people that play without legs, without arms. Yeah. People that literally are playing in wheelchairs but can still get around. I mean, th- yeah. think about how we can all connect that way, right? Not to sound like this, you know, oh, my God, whatever. Yeah. But, I mean, there's so many different ways the game will just continue to grow. And there's too many people that care too much about it for it to, I think, go away, barring an apocalyptic event. You know, mm-hmm. so that's what's really exciting. You can play till you're 150 years old if you can live that long. Yeah, so. absolutely. Listen, uh, give us some uh, Instagram or uh, Twitter yeah, or whatever. Okay. Uh, SKF Golf is my Instagram. So if you want to follow me, I'm private. I like to keep it that way. I like to be like the thing that only the people who know know. I'm not trying to get famous for this, but it's good to be uh, famous adjacent, I think. I do get to meet some pretty cool people sometimes. And like I said, everyone uh, who comes in is usually having a pretty good day when they come see me to hit golf balls. So uh, if you want to follow along, be more than happy to, uh, to let you in on it. It's pretty and cool. how does someone get a hold of uh, TrueSpec and set up a fitting? Yeah, so just uh, TrueSpecGolf.com. Uh, we have an online booking system. We have uh, a team of, of scheduling uh, assistants as well. So if you wanted to call the number or uh, you know just go to the website and book time, um, yeah, Sean Fagan, you can book under me. I'd be happy to help you. Tell me that uh, you, know, you guys heard from Going Nowhere Fast and book through that, and I'll do a free fitting for those people. Nice. There right. you go. Awesome. Absolutely. Pat, you got anything going on? Uh, no, but I'm, I'm going to give give one more little plug to oh, yeah, uh, TrueSpec here. And th- this is coming from, I'm not even a customer yet, I hope. Like, I, I think I will be in the future. Okay. Um, you know, I know if you're going to buy, like, a new set of legit clubs, you might as well get them fitted because it's really not even that much more. Like, coming from, like... I was just going to say that. It's not even that much more expensive. Yeah, and you're going mean, to enjoy the game so it, much more. Yeah. Like, there's a bunch of different ways to buy. If you're looking for the cheapest possible way to buy, you go on eBay, you buy used clubs, and it's going to cost you nothing, right, um, relatively speaking. If you buy a custom-built set, you know, you can spend 4000 you can spend 8000 It all depends on how crazy you want to get with the components and uh, the build. Um, but you can also buy a stock set if you wanted to from me that I can't guarantee is going to work, but I can still order it for you at kind of the stock built price. So there's a couple different options um, there. It's definitely more expensive to buy custom, but you have ownership over your clubs and they're going to be working exactly how uh, you tested them and we can guarantee that they'll work that way. And we have 
dominion over the build. We know exactly how to frequency match each shaft to perform exactly how it worked during the fitting. And when we can bottle that up, I mean, that's really exciting and should make you feel really confident about it. Yeah, it's just like it just seems like you're going to enjoy your game so much more. Of course, and it's, the clubs are going to last five to seven years at least. Some yeah. people play custom-built clubs for 20 years. I mean, it all depends on when you're buying, how often you're playing. Um, you know, if you're going to commit, I mean, there's golf courses not that far from here that cost $200,000 just to join. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're going to make a commitment to play golf like that, you might as well have the right equipment for – a, a tiny fraction of the cost of that, you know? So um, I'm not going to BS people and say it's really inexpensive. It's not. It's an investment into your future with the game, and I think it's a reflection of how much you're willing to commit because golf can't really be done as some silly hobby. You have to make time for it, and it's not a small amount of time that you can, you know, uh, commit to. I like to think of golf as almost more of a lifestyle sport, you know, because it can take four or five hours to play 18 holes. Hopefully not five. You might get a letter from your uh, director of golf if you play in five hours. Try and play it in three and a half to four. But, you know, if you play 50 rounds a year, you know, that's uh, trying to do the math real quick. Basically around a week. 200 hours, yeah. you know, I mean, that's that's no joke, right? So, um, yeah, it's it's great. Love golf. I love this quote by uh, I was looking for a quote by Bobby Jones <clears throat> that I think is a great way to end it is uh, golf is the closest game uh, to the game we call life. You get bad breaks, you get good shots, you get good breaks from bad shots, but you have to play the ball where it lies. It's absolutely true, and you can relate any golf shot to any experience you've had in life. I challenge everyone who hears this to get in a bunker or get in the rough and relate it to something that happened in your life. Think about how you overcame that challenge and then take on the shot and see what happens. Cause, uh, it's, it's very, it's a very deep game and we'll only discover how deep it is. The longer you stay in it. That's it. Hey guys, thanks for listening. We appreciate it. And we will see you next time. Later.